If you have your copy of God's Word, we'll be opening up to 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 7 this evening. As you're turning there, I just want to say thanks to the session here at Trinity for allowing me to come preach. I want to say especially thanks to my dear friend and your newly minted pastor, Felipe. Um, it's been such a joy to go through the suffering and the joys of Westminster together. Uh, and having just graduated uh, this past May, it is uh, just a comfort to me to see how the Lord is working in him and through him and how he's using him here now at Trinity. So I just want to say thank you before I begin. Now, uh, if you've found your place, let's read 2 Corinthians 1, 3-7. Hear now God's word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for your Son, who is our comfort and surety in suffering, and your Spirit, who illumines our minds to the truths of your Word. As we study 2 Corinthians tonight, would you humble our hearts and guide our steps as we consider the beautiful yet sombering realities of this passage. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Well, as I was preparing for the sermon this past week, I was trying to find a good story or illustration that would help set the stage for what Paul is talking about here in the passage for us tonight. But as I worked on the exegesis, researching the, the history and the redemptive history, the, the Greek and everything, looking at potential stories and illustrations, I felt like I just wasn't finding something right to start with. I was hoping for some home run historical event or some great narrative of pain that would really demonstrate to us the reality of suffering in our everyday lives but I just couldn't find the right thing to fit. And while I was preparing, the, the strangest thing happened. Each day this past week, I, I actually had a conversation with a friend, a coworker, and some family members about things that they were going through. I had friends tell me about their physical suffering, things like cancer, miscarriage, fear over the job market and loss of a job, uh, a car breaking down unexpectedly and needing a repair. Some were going through more emotional suffering, things like divorce, broken familial relationships, serious accusations against a friend, depression, anxiety, great amounts of stress. And some were even going through spiritual suffering, asking questions like, who am I? What is the Lord doing in my life? Why do I feel like he's against me? Why do I keep succumbing to the same temptations? I'm just coming across people who are wrestling with God in their afflictions. Now, I didn't prompt them to get them to give me answers so I could introduce that with my sermon um, or talk about their suffering so I could use it in here. The Lord just opened opportunities for us to talk about what was going on in their lives. And I, I realized that I didn't need to come up with some illustration to open this sermon because everyone in this room, everyone I've been talking to, knows the very real and present nature of suffering. I'm sure there are none in this room who have skirted around it, avoided it, or have gotten past it in their life whether it's physical, spiritual, emotional, big, small, seemingly insignificant, or an event that has changed your entire world, we all know some shape or another 
the sting and pain of suffering. It's inescapable. We can't avoid it. And really, that's the reason why Paul opens the letter in the way that he does. Like a doctor warning you that this shot is going to hurt before he puts it in your arm, Paul is instructing the Corinthians that to be a Christian means that we will suffer. It's a sure reality. But thankfully, Paul doesn't leave the Corinthians or us in the dark. Because as he sets forward his theology of suffering, he does so not centered on himself or around other heroes of the faith who have endured great suffering, but centered and founded upon Christ. His understanding of pain and suffering is completely Christ-centered. The reason for it, the way in which it happens, why it happens, and the comfort in it is time and time again brought back to Jesus and our union with him. He says, because Jesus suffers, we will suffer. But as we walk through the passage, we'll see this beautiful turn of events that though we may suffer, the Lord, through Jesus, breaks into the suffering to provide the very need for our souls and thereby the power to be comforted and to comfort others in their suffering. So as we walk through this passage, I have three headings that I think Paul is focusing on here tonight. And they're simple and easy to remember. The first is suffering is real. The second is our comfort is sure. And the third is the purpose of our suffering. We'll begin with our first heading, suffering is real. Christianity doesn't begin with locating our understanding of suffering anywhere else but in Christ, as I already talked about before we began here. It doesn't locate it in someone who has gone through a lot and so has life experiences to pull from. It doesn't locate it in the wisdom of this world, nor does it locate it in the culture that we consume. None of that, though sometimes helpful, captures the true essence and foundation of how we should consider suffering. What Paul is showing us here is that to understand our suffering, we must understand that the one whom we are united to, the one who has made us sons and daughters of God, suffered. He says as much in verse 5, we see, for we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. The framework for our abundant suffering is not that we suffer ourselves, we understand it because Christ suffered himself. Understanding suffering at its core means that we must identify ourselves with the one who suffered on our behalf. And if we identify ourselves with Jesus, then we can begin to get a grasp of how and why we suffer. But why does that not feel quite satisfying? It sure sounds like a a nice thought or principle. Uh, Sure, Christ suffered, you may say, but he suffered in really big and uh, grand ways. He can't sympathize with what I'm going through, these small little daily things to its fullest extent. I think that sometimes we can sterilize what Jesus went through and neatly package into just the pain and suffering on the cross, which, as horrific as it was, does not cover the breadth of how Jesus suffered. When we take a step back and look at Jesus' entire life, we are met with a man who is well acquainted with pain, affliction, and the toil of this life. He was born in a manger with animals, born into poverty, grew up most likely being misunderstood, was constantly berated by religious leaders. He was questioned and doubted, tempted in the wilderness by Satan, pushed out of the town, sought after only for what he could give, prayed so hard that he sweat blood, was betrayed by his friends, abandoned by his followers, was mocked, went through an unfair trial, was passed over as an innocent man so that a murderer could go free. He was beaten, whipped, flogged, abused, wore a crown of thorns. Not to mention, he was doing this while leading up to his death on the cross. 
And then he's nailed to the cross, suffers the greatest shame and pain being hung as a criminal, was forsaken by his father, and finally dies a death that people cheered over. And this is not even taking into consideration the spiritual suffering and weight he carried of bearing the guilt and shame of sin and misery, bearing the full wrath of the Father. This is the Lord that we follow. This is who our lives are founded upon. It's why Paul makes such a big deal about being considered a fool if Christ really didn't rise from the grave in 1 Corinthians. The world says, this is who you follow, this guy who suffers, who is beaten, who is ridiculed by the world. This is who you're finding your hope in. This is the God you say that can save you. And what's Paul's answer? Yeah. That's the topsy-turvy, upside-down reality of the gospel. The one who saves is the one who had to suffer. Not only is Jesus the suffering servant who came to save sinners, but all those who are united to him in his death and resurrection will also suffer. Now, Paul is no stranger to suffering. This isn't merely a thought experiment for him. It's not like he's telling the Corinthians something that he hasn't experienced himself. It's a lived-out reality. Throughout the book of Acts, in his own letters, he details the near-death exper- uh, near experiences, his imprisonments, his spiritual languishing, his relational struggles, his being beaten and flogged, his being mocked. He was shipwrecked and bitten by a poisonous snake. If that wasn't enough to demonstrate Paul as a sufferer, we, came, we come to the reason why Paul is writing the letter to the Corinthians to begin with. The Corinthians recognized that he constantly suffered and so therefore called him a false prophet, a false apostle. They thought, how can someone suffer so much and be called a spirit-filled apostle of the risen Christ? So they slandered him, compared him to who they thought were better witnesses to the power and victory of Christ and began to question his motives and personal courage. So much so that it caused a rift in the relationship and caused dissension in the church. Paul would later write in chapter 2 of his letter that his visits to the church in Corinth were painful. Or maybe we could say full of affliction and suffering. And really, here's the rub of Christianity. Paul's sufferings and Jesus' sufferings, they are not ultimately unique in that this is what we should expect. In fact, according to Paul and the biblical witness, to expect a life without suffering in a world of sin is to expect a life that doesn't exist. To be a Christian that is identified with Christ means that we will suffer. Maybe for some of you that looks like receiving a serious health prognosis like terminal cancer, a disease that is life-threatening or extremely debilitating. Perhaps it could be the loss of a parent or a sibling or a close friend. Maybe for others, it looks like a child or a friend walking away from the faith. Whatever it may look like to suffer in this life, we should not be surprised. We should be able to agree with Peter in his first letter when he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that has come upon you as though something strange were happening to you. To be a Christian means that we will suffer. And now, at this point, you're probably thinking, well, this is a great evening service. Thanks, Felipe, for inviting this guy to talk about how much we're going to suffer. That's really nice. But don't you see what Paul is doing here? He's actually helping us by really driving home our calling as sufferers united to our suffering Savior. Give an example. When I used to play football, the worst part about every game uh, on Friday night was not uh, remembering the plays or getting injured or even losing the game. It was the anticipation of that first hit. The first big blow of contact as 
two 300-pound men are running against each other. That is what I feared the most. Your body is all tense, and you're kind of anxious about, okay, when is it coming? When will I get hit? When will I get over with it? But once you get that first hit out of the way, the rest of the game, you, you don't even think about that contact. So what Paul is doing here, if I, if I may say this, is delivering to us that big first hit. He's saying, wake up, Christians, you will suffer. Don't think you can get around this. But once you expect suffering, you can actually live a life that it always isn't in fear, and one that is more realistic. Perhaps that's something you need to hear tonight, a, a wake-up call to the fact that of suffering, so that when suffering comes, or if you're in the midst of it right now, you're not wondering why it's happening or if God is against you. Our suffering is real because Christ suffered. But thankfully, that's not all Paul has to say in this passage. And this brings us to our second point. Our comfort is real. Well, if you read ahead in your Bible as I was going on and on about suffering, uh, you see in verse 5 that Paul doesn't end with sharing abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Here's how he finishes the verse. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. So if we are united to Christ in our suffering, then Paul says we will also be comforted. Now here Paul doesn't list out all the ways that Jesus was comforted, and you may wonder, okay, what does it mean to share in Christ's comforts? But if you read through the story of Jesus' earthly ministry, you'll see time and time again moments where the Father provides comfort to his Son. Whether it was through the angels in the wilderness and the garden ministering to him, people recognizing who he is and serving him, the love and care and fellowship of the disciples, the fellowship he had with the Father, um, there are small moments at each step of the way that the Father mercifully and compassionately gave to Jesus to sustain him, to build him up and encourage him. Now, if that wasn't enough, we see most importantly that the greatest comfort he received was being raised from the dead, vindicated for his perfect life, and ascended into glory at his Father's right hand. The Father comforted him through his suffering and led him to that ultimate comfort. Now, it's not an if or a maybe that Jesus was comforted. It wasn't potentially comforting or sort of accidentally comforting. The Father purposefully, knowingly, and lovingly comforted his Son through it all. So why would we, those who suffer in Christ, we say we suffer because we're united to a suffering Savior, expect anything less? I think sometimes we, we don't expect comfort or we expect that God is not there in our suffering because we have a pessimistic view of God that just isn't true. We don't expect comfort to come. We don't always expect suffering in our, in our Western 21st century world. When it uh, does come, we automatically equate it with the displeasure of God or the will of some impulsive, uh, distant, cold being. Or maybe that God just doesn't care at all and has left us to our own devices. But Paul, in the story of Jesus, his comfort in the gospel, paints a very different picture for us. What does Paul say in verse 3? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Paul is painting a very different picture than we have in our minds of God in the midst of our suffering. He hasn't abandoned us. He isn't toying with us. Like a father who not only helps their child when they get a scrape, but holds them to comfort them 
so too did the father comfort his son and now comforts us in the same way. Or like a dad who hears his child crying out in the middle of the night because they had a nightmare and he walks into the room to be with them, calm them down, and soothe them back to sleep. He is loving, patient, caring, and intentional. He wants to comfort us. He wants us to come to him. He's not looking to make us suffer just for his own pleasure. This is, this picture of a loving father, a merciful, comforting father, is in some way how we should imagine our father in heaven when we speak about comfort in suffering. But notice that though Jesus was comforted, he had to walk through the suffering. Paul didn't say that God's comfort for his son was that he allowed Jesus to avoid it. No, though the father comforted his son through his earthly ministry and into his ascension, he never removed the suffering from him. And maybe that's why we often think about God in these negative terms or as evil or as distant. We think that God's response to our suffering should only be to make it stop, to make us comfortable, to make our lives a little bit easier. Don't you know what I have going on here, Lord? It would be really nice if not on top of everything else, you would remove this from me so I can just handle what's going on in my life right now. But friends, nowhere in the Bible is that the prevailing answer. We expect these grand gestures of God to open up the heavens and reach his hand out to remove us from our grief and reverse the suffering we're going through. And maybe, and sometimes that does happen, but that's not usually how it goes. Instead, comfort looks like this. You're driving home from work after a long day of stress and anxiety and the burden of whatever may be weighing on your mind is resting on your heart and your friend calls. Maybe you don't talk about much. You talk about your job or your family or life or, or nothing at all. And at the end of the call, they share a scripture passage or pray with you. And in that moment, the burden, though not fully gone, becomes a little less heavy. There is comfort that comes from that. Well, maybe it looks like reading a book and coming across an idea or a picture or a thought that speaks to you and, and helps you understand what you're going through. In that way, the Lord uses that as a means of comfort. Maybe it's a song on the radio or on Spotify that has specific lyrics which speak to a certain situation going on in your life. And in that moment, you feel seen and known by the Lord. You know, there's this Christian song that um, came out recently, maybe in 2021, called Come to the Lord, which is a, a pretty good song about comfort in suffering, but there's something about it when I first heard it that struck me as quite odd. During the bridge, the lyrics begin listing out a bunch of different types of suffering, with the refrain ending at each line, Come to the Lord. So, for example, in the bridge, If you're hurting and broken, come to the Lord. If you're suffering and needy, Come to the Lord. If you're guilty from sinning, come to the Lord. Each line is specific and yet general enough where it covers a lot of different categories. You can kind of find yourself in each one of those. Then, out of nowhere, in the middle of the bridge, one of the lines goes, If your marriage is struggling, come to the Lord. What? Where did that come from? Weren't we just talking about all these general categories and now all of a sudden you're bringing up marriage? What is, why be so specific there? But you know what, for how odd and out of place it might seem when you first hear the song, the person or people whose marriage is struggling, who 
listens to that song or sings that lyric probably felt the most seen they had in a long time by the Lord. He's saying, come to me. Does he really want to comfort me? A person who feels like their life is falling apart, the Lord is calling me. That is how the Lord lovingly, graciously, and mercifully comforts his people. But it's not just those small ways that he comforts, though as important as they may be, though as helpful they are to sustain us through our life, but the ultimate confidence, hope, joy, and comfort we have comes from knowing, believing, and trusting that just as Christ was comforted through his resurrection and ascension, so will you be. And just as Christ is returning to claim all those who belong to him, you have a hope that though right now the world sucks, Sin exists, suffering abounds. We may be comforted knowing that there is coming a day when all of this will end. Right now, the Lord is bottling up your tears and is remembering the cries of his people, but one day there will be no more tears to bottle up, no more cries of sorrow to hear. Whatever you may be going through tonight, whether big or small, know that the Lord is comforting you now but that his work is not yet finished. There is still a greater, more beautiful comfort on the way. And this is what's true for those who are in Christ. But for those of you who may not be in Christ, or for those of you who may be wandering away from him, distant from him, doubtful of him, or questioning him, I want to challenge you with this. What is your hope for the healing of your suffering? Is it the world? Is it yourself? Is it your friends? Your work? How can you be assured that the suffering you are going through right now will have any meaning or end? For those who are believers, God has remedied, repaired, and healed their aching and pains. But those who are not united to Christ, that is, trusting and believing in Him, have no hope for eternal rest and comfort. That is the uniqueness of Christianity when it comes to suffering. Yes, we all suffer. Yes, being a Christian doesn't mean we escape suffering. But all those outside of Christ have no assurance or hope that one day it will be gone. That all justice will be served and that all pain will be over. There is no affirmation that you'll be comforted in your suffering in this life or the life to come. I pray that if you are questioning or wondering or running from the Lord or, or not sure, that you would consider these things and read the Bible to see what true comfort and hope you can have, even in the midst of great suffering, affliction, by being united to Jesus. And then this leads us to our last point, which is the purpose of our suffering. Paul makes it very clear that our suffering is not only real, but that there is a great purpose in it. Verses 3 to 4 read like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Wow. What an answer to the, to the deepest question that every person who has ever gone suffer, through suffering before asks. Why is this happening to me? Why do I have to go through this? 
What is God doing? What is the purpose of this suffering? This is probably the universal question that anyone from any country and any tribe of any point in history could pinpoint as the common reaction to suffering, whether Christian or not. And while not an exhaustive answer, Paul gives us a chief one. Apart from making us more like Christ, one of the key reasons or purposes for our suffering is that it makes us better at comforting others. The cries of our heart to the Lord in our suffering are met with a purpose that turns our eyes away from ourselves and to Him and to others around us. The suffering we are experiencing now or have experienced in the past is being used by God to make us into people who are comforters. So the one who was comforted becomes the one who now comforts. Well, how is this possible? What good can this bring about? Well, the one who has suffered and has been comforted by the Lord now knows the Lord in a way that could not have been known or said before. Sometimes you'll hear people who, who go through a, a great deal of suffering say, I'm thankful to God for letting me go through this because now I really know his goodness. I really know his love. I really know what the gospel is. My faith is the strongest it's ever been. I mean, how crazy is that for people to say something like that? Suffering well in the Lord completely reorients how we think about ourselves, how we think about others, and how we think about God. It changes you in a way that is only possible through being united to Christ in the crucible of suffering. You begin to pick up on things that you wouldn't have before. You begin to understand the gospel in terms that are more applicable, real, and experiential than you did before. Seemingly, at times, it feels like maybe the Lord starts to bring people in your life who are going through similar seasons of suffering, not so you can watch them go by, but so you can comfort them in all their afflictions. This is the kind of comfort in our suffering, which makes us the best comforters ever. And what does this comfort look like? Well, I think the best way we can think about how to comfort someone else is to look back in the past and think about how you were comforted by the Lord through others in your suffering. Well, a primary way in which you can comfort your fellow believers is to read them the Word of God, the very life. Think about a psalm that really helped you through a, a tough season of your life. Maybe something like Psalm 23, a pretty common one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. As you're reading it through the valley of the shadow of death, you read it to them, you read it with them, you pray it over them. And there's comfort that comes from that is the assurance of God's word that the Lord is with them in their suffering. You say, I've been there too. And God is good. And he sustains me. And it's not because of my testimony, but it's because of the word of God, which proves that to be true. Another way you can comfort someone is just by sitting with them. Sometimes we, we feel like we need to give an answer to the problems of someone's life, especially Westminster students. I feel like, you know, with all the knowledge that we get, we want to just vomit it out onto someone, and that's often not the most helpful thing. Because we don't always have the answer, and that's okay. 
most of the time, especially when something first hits or the suffering is fresh or the wound is reopened, it's actually far more effective to be near to your friend or family member than it is to fix the problem for them. The ministry of presence is a powerful thing. Just as the Spirit draws us near to the Lord in our suffering, we can draw near to others and show them that there's someone in their life who loves them, is there for them, is praying for them, and wants to help them. Another way you can comfort someone is, is through singing songs, psalms, hymns over them, taking them out for food or bringing food to them, helping them out with their lawn or fixing a bookshelf for them. Whatever means that you have, whatever gifts that you have, that is a means in which the Lord can use to comfort someone. But this works not because we are extremely wise and psychologically trained people. It's not because our handyman skills have the power to heal broken hearts. It's not because CCF is right down the road and we have some pamphlets we can hand out to them. It's because Jesus, who suffered the greatest affliction and pain, is also the greatest comforter. Because in his greatest moment of suffering on the cross, he was doing it to bring comfort to those who could not provide it for themselves. Notice what Paul says in verse 5. It is through Christ that we are comforted. There is a language shift that should pique our interest. We suffer in Christ, but it is through Christ that we are comforted. It is by the means of what Christ went through and suffered on our behalf that the comfort he receives become the comfort that we receive. It is this identification with Christ in our suffering that the Lord then comforts us through his mediation. It's the same with how we comfort others. Though uh, through the comfort with which we have been comforted, as Paul says in verse 4, comes the comfort we give to others. It is through our comfort that we comfort others. So commiserating with each other is not enough. Though it feels good to talk about how you both are suffering in the same way, you kind of grovel together and say, yeah, that really sucks, I hate it, yeah, it's not fun. Anyways, if you just leave it there, there's no real hope for enduring through it. Paul's confidence in enduring through suffering is not because we suffer and comfort, but because our suffering and comfort is founded upon Christ through his work and empowered by the Spirit of God. But notice, too, that it's not just our comfort that comforts, but there's actually another purpose for our suffering. Not only are we able to comfort others through the comfort that we have received, but we are also comforting others in our suffering itself. Let's look at what Paul says in verse 6. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. So Paul is saying suffering is not just a stopgap to get to the comfort. It's not something we just grit our teeth through until we can get to the part where we're past it and able to help other people. No, it is our suffering itself which provides comfort for other people. Well, how is that the case? Because when we suffer in Christ and are identified with him in our suffering, those around us get a picture into what it looks like for the Lord to be near someone in great moments of pain. Doesn't it completely just, just reorient our view of God when 
someone has stage four cancer and is able to pray and sing a hymn in praise and trust him. Or when someone's house is destroyed by a natural disaster and where they turn is not towards bitterness and anger, but to love and praise of the Lord. Or more poignantly for us, isn't amazing when we look at Jesus on the cross. Even in his greatest moment of pain and suffering, bearing the weight of guilt and shame and the full wrath of the Father, he is able to say, forgive them for they know not what they do. He went through his suffering not for people who deserved it, but for sinners. As Paul says in Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. And maybe another way we can describe it, we're about to sing a famous hymn when I survey the wondrous cross. And the third stanza pulls this idea perfectly out for us. It says, See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? In the midst of his suffering, Jesus was comforting. So then when we suffer, we are comforted in knowing that Jesus readily gave that comfort. And it is by this reality that we are able to comfort others in the midst of our suffering, and not just afterward. When others see how the Lord ministers to us and how we trust in Him, they inevitably learn something about the worth of how they endure in the Lord by His grace through suffering. And Paul, in verse 7, says, Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Paul is sure, his hope is sure, not because he has seen other people suffer before, or because he has gone through it himself. The basis of his assurance and his confidence in that they will endure is because of Christ's suffering and Christ's comfort. Jesus sees you and knows you in your suffering because he has suffered himself. He has comforted you with the comfort he received in his resurrection and through his life. And he is now changing all those who are united to him in their suffering to be those who comfort others in their sufferings. We suffer in the sufferer. We're comforted in the comforter. And we become comforters who comfort the suffering. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the assurance that though we suffer, though there is pain and affliction in this life, that the comfort of your Son is just as sure. That we are not lost in the midst of our pain, lost in the midst of what's going on in our life, but you are present, you are near, you are drawing yourself to your people, and the comfort that you provide through your Son is better and more powerful and more sustaining than any suffering we are going through. But Father, for those who are in this room, who are languishing, who are in the midst of a rough season, may they look to your Son, who is the assurance of their hope, 
May they look to the day when there will no longer be suffering, there will no longer be pain, no more tears, but there will just be joy and comfort and contentment and peace and glad praises to your name. Father, may this word sit richly in our heart. May it teach us to trust you more, to love you more, and to glorify you in all that we do. In your son's name we pray. Amen.